From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond. Today, I have Bill from the Exeter Group of Companies. Bill, it's really nice to have you on. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. I'm really excited for today's discussion. Bill, tell me a bit about yourself and about your company and who you are and what you're doing. Sure. Well, I've been in the financial services world, I guess, now for a little over 40 years. I started off in insurance and then commercial banking, was controller of a bank up in Los Angeles. That was back in the early 80s. Right around there, the chairman of the bank decided to start a 1031 exchange company. The outside counsel said, do not have your escrow subsidiary run it. We think there's a conflict there. So he threw it at me and I had, of course, no clue what a 1031 exchange was. <laughs> so quickly had to start learning about that. And UCLA had a two and a half day extension program a couple months later. So I took that and that kind of did a left turn on my career path there. I've been in banking or trust services all along as well, but predominantly it's been 1031 exchanges and then trust services included self-directed IRAs, self-directed 401ks, custody, specialty holding escrows, title holding trust, land trust, a lot of specialty niches. And that's been really the last, say, 38 years of my career. So it's been a lot of fun. We just specialize in things that help solve problems for people. And we just keep rolling out new niches whenever we find them. Nice. I love that. So how has your breadth of experience informed the way you do business today? Oh, good question. You know, after 40 some years, you can see it all. You do a lot of things. You learn a lot of things. When I got first got into banking, it was a really small bank and it was a two branch bank. And they, the chairman and the executive team grew it way too fast. So we went through a lot of problems. I had to do a turnaround. I became part of the turnaround team. And I'll tell you, you learn a lot about what not to do when you go through something like that. And then from there, I spent a lot of time with Chicago title, South Coast title. And then we started the Exeter Group in 2004. So we've seen a lot, administered a lot, learned tons as we go through that process. And even today, after 40 some years, you still learn something new every week. It's amazing that it's just a never ending process. Yeah, I love that. What are some of those things that you've learned not to do? What are those, the top highlights that maybe come to mind? Good question. The top issue is it's amazing how many people, for different reasons, stray from best practices. Their greed kicks in or they're just lazy or whatever it is, they just decide to stray from best practices. And that ultimately gets you in trouble. The operations start to slide, what have you. So the one thing that's key is don't do anything like that. Stay on point, stay with best practices, take care of the customer, do what's right, do what you need to do to protect the customer. We spent a couple of years going through the whole review and approval process to get the trust company charter specifically to better protect the customer. A lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of resources, but it was the right thing to do. And it's just, that's really the best thing to do. Stick with best practices, do what's right for the client. And in the long term, you will be very successful. I love it. And obviously you've been in business for a while. How have your products and services evolved over time? And how did you know when it's okay time to update our product or service? Time to not be changing things every other day. Like what's the balance of that, Mumley? I'm laughing because it seems like in our world, the IT side of it 
software or hardware is always changing so fast you can't keep up with it. It just drives you nuts. But we got to the point where um, it was ready to start our own company. We had seen a lot of the big companies we worked for couldn't take care of all the client needs because they were either publicly traded or there was some issue there. So we thought that's the right reason to start the company. So we can take care of the clients, even do the complicated transactions that the bigger companies weren't comfortable with. Some clients are not risk averse. They want to be aggressive. They want to take risks. So we want to be able to see service those needs. So that was the kind of the big reason we decided to do that. And so our first product was 1031 Exchanges in 2004. And then from there, it's just evolved. In my prior life, we administered self-directed IRAs. And so some of our clients started calling and saying, hey, we really want to get back into this with you. And we had ourselves, we would never go back into a regulated environment, but there we went. <laughs> so same thing for the title holding trust. We have clients who called up and said, we worked with you before. And that's all about keeping their name off of the public record. And especially as the last 10 years, a lot of weird political stuff is happening. They want to be confidential and private in the manner they hold titles. So we just kind of roll them out as the client needs arise. Interesting. And do you mostly look at your clients and their needs, or do you ever look at like broader industry trends and then introduce new concepts to clients? Good question. We we certainly attend a lot of trade shows and conferences, try to keep up with what's going on out there. There's a lot of broader trends where you've got a ton of competitors out there, and those are very difficult industries to compete in. Clients are always asking us to do the traditional 401ks or the traditional IRAs, but there's so many brokerage firms and administrators out there that do that, that they jump in the business. It just it makes it really difficult to grow the business. So we always try to do the niches that a lot of the other competitors really don't want to focus on. And we're a very big fish in a very small pond. So it, it works a lot better that way for us. I love it. Let's talk about channels and tactics for growth and finding potential customers and marketing and sales and all that. You've told me you do a podcast and you're growing the YouTube channel and all that. I'd love to just hear more about all that stuff. Sure. A lot of people tell you don't give too much information out because you want them to call you, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I disagree with that. I completely take a different approach. I think you want to give as much information out there. You want to help educate investors. The more information and education they have, the better informed decision they can make. And if they feel like they know what they're talking about, or they've learned a lot, or they just feel that we've given a lot of information, they're going to call us because we know what we're talking about. So everything we do is educational driven, whether it be webinars, seminars, tra trade shows. We do a lot of education at the trade show conferences. Of course, a lot of it's gone online with all of the COVID and what have you, although it's starting to go back with in-person seminars too. But everything we do is educational. And that, I think, drives the business because... They realize we know a lot. We're very advisory and consultative in nature. We love jumping on conference calls with the client and their advisors. Everybody's got a little piece of the pie. So when you get them all on a call, you're really able to do what's right for the client, find the right solution for them. So that's how we've always approached it. I love it. So when you're thinking about doing like a seminar, a podcast, a YouTube video, how do you come up with those educational topics? Do you have a standard set of talk track points or are you like brainstorming new ones every month? Uh, we certainly have the standard presentations we always use. I always name them unraveling the mystery of whatever, because in our world, there's a lot of 
confusion, a lot of different opinions. It doesn't mean they're wrong. They're just a lot of opinions that sound different. And so our job is to unravel the mystery, help explain what really works, what doesn't work, what's aggressive, what's conservative. And that way the investor can make their own decision. Um, but then we also keep our eyes open for what kind of questions do we get a lot of? And it's funny how things go in cycles. And so one month, there's all these questions about car washes and whatnot. And the next month, it might be fast food chain. There's always something different. So we'll target that. Uh, there's always something happening on the legislative front. Or right now, we've got California that's gone through all the rain and the floods and the mudslides. So there's extensions of time. There's certainly hurricanes back east. And those are also trigger extensions of time. So we try to work that into the program as well. Awesome. Are those like questions from clients or questions on LinkedIn or where do those questions come from? Good question. They come from all over. Sometimes you feel like you're bombarded, but they can certainly come from all of our social media channels. Quite a few are just questions that our administrative team will get as they're working with clients. And then they'll shoot over and say, you know, this week, this month, we're getting this question quite a bit. We get a lot of questions at the webinars and the seminars too. So we accumulate those and Anything that seems to be a, tr a question that's trending, we start to work that into the program. That's awesome. And you mentioned focusing on niches that maybe others aren't picking up. Is that how you stay competitive in a crowded market with competitors and all that? Yeah, it's certainly a way to differentiate you from the other folks. And then like on the trust company side, we did the self-directed IRAs and title holding trust and all of that. There's a lot of trust companies, well, I shouldn't say a lot, there's probably... 30 to 40 trust companies that really look at and administer self-directed IRAs. But most of them really know self-directed IRAs. They know how to administer them, but they really don't know real estate. It is amazing how many things we've gotten and we look at it and go, oh, geez, there's another mistake. And we spend a lot of time helping clients through the real estate cycle, the process and how to clean up issues. So that's how we also further differentiate ourselves. We focus on the niches, but then we also have that real estate focus that a lot of them don't have. Absolutely. I'm going to go back to content production for a minute. When it came to setting all that up, how did you go about doing that? Was it all like your marketing person in house or did you like leverage different contractors or agencies or how do you go about executing on that front? First, when we started back in 2004, there was just myself and then Maureen Brown, and the two of us were the two founders. So it just grew from there. Most of the educational content, the articles and everything, things that I've written, we had an outside marketing agency who would do any of the graphics, the branding, website development, things like that. Um, so both, all the content was internally driven. Anything else, we'd probably subbed out for help. Even today, we we run a really narrow shop where we don't have a whole lot of people in-house to do that kind of thing. So we still re rely on outside providers to do a lot of the graphics and the development. Was it hard to put yourself out there and get on camera and podcasts and all that stuff? Or, or was it like naturally you hopped right in and love this stuff? Good, good, good question. First of all, for anybody who's just getting into it, they go, oh my God, I'm scared to death or whatever. I think that's a good thing. Keeps you on edge. It keeps you thinking, keeps you focused. But I had a number of public speaking courses when I was in high school and in college. I had a debate class in college. But bigger than that is when I was from 10 to probably 19, I was in the 4-H youth program. And they don't come out and say, hey, we're going to teach you public speaking. They just very subtly get you into these 
positions like a junior leader and you don't realize you're getting up and running meetings and all of a sudden one day you realize you've been doing a lot of public speaking so with all of that it just came together and then certainly the more you get to know your product and the industry and the technical side it becomes easier and easier i love it as we head into this year what's your plan just to do the content production double down on is there any new things you're adding or pivots you're making at all Good question. I love the term double down. There's a lot of concern about a recession. People are, have all sorts of opinions on that. From my perspective, this kind of feels like the 2000-2001 recession where it was certainly there. It impacted certain niches, but it didn't really hit the real estate market as hard as people thought it would. Certainly, there's been a decline in transaction volume, but we're not seeing a huge decline in market value. We're not seeing a ton or huge percentage decreases in prices. So we're not cutting back. We're actually, I would use the term doubling down. So we've actually hired uh, four people just in the last couple of months. I guess one of the beauties when a recession's coming and the, and the transaction volume is down is title and escrow companies lay off. And that's a perfect niche for us to go after because they, they know title, they know escrow, they know real estate, they know the closing process. So we've actually taken advantage of it and staffed up by four more. Nice. That's awesome. Any closing thoughts, closing remarks, words of advice or things you've learned over the years that you want to wrap up with as we finish off the podcast? Sure. There's all sorts of advice you can come up with, but one of the things when you're starting a business, a lot of them fail. So my advice is don't give up. You got to have a good plan. You got to have the capital to do it. So make sure you plan through the capital. You got to have good accounting or good systems so you track what's going on. People tend to get, they go down rabbit holes. If they're really, really comfortable with accounting systems, they do the accounting, but they forget you got to go out and get customers. Have the whole plan in place, but don't give up. Be persistent. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to do a lot of the things that are done with startups. You just have to keep doing it. Keep getting out there. In most cases, it's a numbers game. So the more people you get in front of, whether that's be written articles or social media or public speaking or whatever it is, you just keep doing it until you get out there and you become successful. Absolutely. I love that advice. We're about a 25 person company now and I started it with zero people two years ago. And it's so true. You just got to execute every single day and meet new people. And I love it. True. Never give up. <laughs> Absolutely. On that note, Bill, it's been amazing to have you on. Thanks so much for joining here and sharing all your wisdom and insights. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Absolutely.